What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Crawford Talks. We are speaking on Thursday morning, almost two weeks into the, pretty much two weeks into the the baseball season here already. I feel like it's gone pretty fast. Mike, to kick things off today, I have a very difficult trivia question for you. Are you ready for it? Uh, maybe. I might be. We shall see. Okay, so on Wednesday night, Carlos Sanabria became the ninth Astros pitcher to make his major league debut this year. Yes. They've played 11 games, so that's pretty absurd. <laughs> um, Houston's franchise record for pitcher debuts in a season is 11, set in 2013. Can you name three of those 11 pitchers from 2013 that, that debuted for the Astros that year? Oh, gosh. I was around in 2013, so I should... <laughs> Gosh, I should at least get one of these. Um, I'm like visualizing the older uniforms and try to and try to name somebody from that ridiculous roster. Oh God, it's a good trivia question. Can I get one of those guys? Ugh. Um, you know, okay, let, let me think about this. Okay, uh, I'm just gonna. You, start, I can give you a hint if you want. Before you give me a hint, I'm just gonna start rattling off some names. So 2013. I think this is going to be wrong, but I'll say one of them was Dallas Keuchel. Wrong. Okay. I thought he might have been a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, give me a hint. One of them uh, was traded for one one of the Astros' best hitters. Uh, one of them was Jared Kosart. That's correct. That's not. That wasn't the... But the not, one not I was alluding one. to, but he, okay. he he is one of the one. Okay, of the so 11. I got one. Okay, so now let me think about. Okay, one of their best hitters. Okay, so let me cycle through. Okay, Bregman was drafted. Correa was drafted. Altuve was signed. Um, Brantley was signed. Hmm. Oh, uh, Josh Fields. That's one of them. That's that's the one I was I was I was alluding to. And then okay, hmm, I'll give you another hint. Um. I'll give you this hint. So one of them was in the Ken Giles trade. Okay, so one was in the Ken Giles trade. To, okay. From the Phillies. Yeah, okay, the, the, the Ken Giles Phillies trade. Okay, got yeah. it. So obviously Mark Appel didn't make his debut at all with the Astros, so he would not be it. Who else was in that he, trade I think with he, Appel? He once threw at A-Rod, I think. He once threw at A-Rod. Oh, Wasn't gosh. there like a, a, a controversy? Yeah. Yeah, there there was there was there was some kind of fracas. I remember. Gosh, I, I got Josh Fields, and I can't get somebody it was, who was Bre in Brett Oberholzer. Oh, that's right, Oberholzer. Yeah, I, I'll 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 conclude it there because <laughs> this is this is like I'm I'm happy enough that I got Cosard and especially Josh Fields, who I think threw 100 miles an hour. That I am halfway self-satisfied, and I'll just end my misery there. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw out a few of the more notable ones. Yeah, go um, ahead. Josh Side, uh, Paul Clemens, Kevin Chapman, Jake Elmore, to name a few. Uh, okay. And there are some other ones that I don't even remember uh, that I've never heard of. So yeah, Now, that makes me feel better because I think the <laughs> only one who I was thinking of was, like, maybe Clemens. Like, I think I remember there was a, a little bit of hope with him. Uh, and I was like, I was just trying to visualize guys in the uniform. But I think I think Cosart and Fields was about the most I was going to get. Yeah. So now I'm, like, trying to make sure I remember this Brett Olberholtz or A-Rod thing correctly. Do you remember this? I, I actually don't remember that. But I actually remember Oberholzer was a guy who... Th that's another one that people were like, eh, maybe this guy could actually be something. Yeah. 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 Anyway, 
Those fun are tri- the days. Fun <laughs> trivia question to, to kick off the morning. I, I think the Astros might break that record this year. Um, all they need is three more pitchers to make their debut, and the way things are going, it's in play. So um, in other pitching news, the Astros did make a notable change on Wednesday, and I think if you listen to our last episode, you won't be surprised to hear that I am surprised by this. Um, you know, I thought Josh James would get a couple more starts, given how how much they you know how much time Brent Strom invested in him in the in the offseason and spring training and how good he looked in spring training just the upside if he can throw strikes with his stuff but the Astros decided otherwise and they you know it sounds like they made the decision on Tuesday um, to and told us Wednesday to you know remove him from the rotation he's in the bullpen um, beginning Thursday or Friday and Brandon, Brandon Bielak one of the nine rookies will start Thursday night. Do you agree with this decision? I would not have made this decision this quickly. I would have gone at least, I would have gone at least one more start with James. He's walked 11 guys in six innings, which is obviously completely unacceptable. And I know he's going to tell you after Sunday, he allowed one hit to the angels. That's, that's fine. But he walked six guys in three innings. I mean, you can't have that. Um, I, I just think that, with the state of the starting rotation and the fact that there's obviously a lot more value in a starter than a reliever short-term and long-term, I would have seen if there was some way that James could settle down a little bit, and I would have given him at least one more start. I understand the logic. I I wonder if, if some of it has to do with the Osuna situation, which we'll get to a little bit later in the episode. So I would have gone one or two more starts. What about you? I agree, but I also wonder if a lot of it has to do with his next turn would have been against the A's and how we've talked about this before, just how valuable those games against the A's are relative to the Diamondbacks or the Giants next week or, or the non-division games. Um, And you know, right now the A's are ahead of the Astros um, already, and I wonder how much that played into it. Like they don't, you know, they wanted to give give themselves a, you know, by bumping Greinke to Friday, they give themselves a better chance against the A's and a slightly yeah. worse chance against the Diamondbacks on Thursday with Belak. Um And just because of of the the value of the division games, I have to think that played a role in terms of like the. You know, Dusty Baker tried to paint it as like, oh, they don't have any, you know, experience in the back end of the bullpen. They needed James in the bullpen. Well, I don't I mean, I guess he does make their bullpen better. But, you know, a good starter is or or a a starter is more valuable than a reliever. So obviously, James wasn't a good starter right now. But, you know, there's more value in if he could figure it out as a starter than if he figures it out as a reliever. Yeah, I think the ace thing makes sense, and I know it's always kind of tricky to throw a guy off his normal routine, but I'm sure with a guy like Zach Granke, who's going to tell them exactly what he's thinking, Granke was much better on his Saturday start against the Angels than his first start against uh, Seattle, and and so I'm sure he's good with it, and I think that logic makes sense. It was interesting reading your story, Jake, about Josh James, because you mentioned how he had worked so much with Brent Strom over the offseason, into spring training. He was looking good. The results in the first spring training were good. And I guess it seems like they're blaming some of these issues on the fact that he had a kid, and so he was late coming back to this summer camp. Uh, I don't know exactly what to attribute 
attributed to. I definitely think that this ramp up, this summer camp was rough on these pitchers. I mean, Carlos Correa said as much after the first Diamondbacks game um, where they won, and maybe Josh James fits into that category. But yeah, I would have I would have given him one or two more turns. I think the part about the A's does make competitive sense considering those are the most important games this team will play this season. Yeah. And and Dusty Baker, interestingly enough, you know, floated the possibility that Josh James could still make more starts for them this year. They have um like a seventeen game stretch without an off day coming up. Yep. And maybe without they, the desperately needed off day. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they throw him in as a sixth starter here or there to give everyone else a break. I'm not sure if I actually see that happening, but it was interesting that he said that. Um, he also said that they would still entertain the idea of, of him starting full time again, trying trying the whole experiment again in 2021 when, when Dusty's back. I don't I think that's you know, obviously going to depend on what the roster looks like. Yep. But um, do you think, you know, based on what you've seen, not only this year, but in 2018 and 2019, what do you think, Josh James, long term? Like, what what is he? Should he get a chance to be a starter again in the future? Or would you just let him focus on relief? My answer is I would definitely give him another ch- another shot in 2021. Uh, real quick, if you're looking at the rotation in 2021, the big question is going to be, and hopefully we'll find out some news on this in the next week or two, we shall see, maybe longer, Verlander. Um, Lance McCullers will be in that rotation in 2021, as will Zach Greinke. So that's three. And pass, uh, you know, and then we'll Christian see what happens Javier. with. Yeah, Christian Javier. He seems like he would be a lock after two starts for that rotation. Uh, Framber Valdez as well. Uh, but uh, the long answer, yes. Short answer, yes. Uh, I would absolutely give Josh James a shot because of that value. Because 2021, hopefully, knock on wood, will be a lot more normal than what we're going through now. And I don't really see a ton of downside given that that's... 162 game season where this is a truncated 60 game season and the Astros long term after Verlander after Greggy are going to need starting pitching so I don't see any downside with that now to your question about him being a reliever uh, I can see their logic in that okay Roberto Osuna the reports are that he is out for the season I don't think there's any confirmation on that yet but let's assume that he is no confirmation if he is out for the season, then Ryan Presley is going to be their their you know nominal closer. It sounds like Dusty is going to do hopefully the smart thing and you know use guys in the eighth if that's like when the game needs to be won or lost. But Ryan Presley would be their best reliever, and then it's Blake Taylor, then Cy Snead. So I can see the logic that if Josh James dials it in and is able to throw more strikes, that Josh James you know can profile as a fairly ideal, you know, setup man for an inning or two along with Blake Taylor to get you to Ryan Presley. That to me makes sense if he can throw strikes. Right. That's the key and you brought this up on our last episode. Um, you know, he still has to throw strikes to be effective and yes, I think because he's getting less reps now in games by virtue of uh, the role change, it might you know, take longer than it would have otherwise for him to iron it out. Um, maybe not. Maybe all he needed was this kind of wake up call. Who knows? But, you know, 
to be effective, he's going to have to be in the strike zone more. He's through only 49% strikes in his two starts. And so when you look at that, it's not a surprise that he lasted only three innings in both starts, despite, you know, a pitch count into the 70s. Yeah, I mean, I it's it, I thought the start on Sunday was particularly just not really competitive. And I, what has been your experience in, in talking to guys, Jake, when they're making this move from the bullpen to the rotation? Because I'm guessing most guys don't tell you, well, all of a sudden I went to the rotation and my control went haywire. Yeah, not really, no. Um and like you said earlier, like in spring training, he looked great. Like he was like their best starter in spring training. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought he was primed for like a, a really good season. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I talked to guys more about the opposite switch, like from the rotation to the bullpen. Like I remember Colin McHugh was really interesting about that when he made that change and just like the mindset change of, you know, starter, you have every fifth day, you know exactly what you have to do between starts, you know who you're going to face. You can really game plan as a reliever. You literally have to be ready every day. And, and yep. the mental part of it, as much as the physical part of it, you know, is is a challenge for guys. Um, but I think the fact that James did it all of last year, you know, that was kind of his transition year, right? To, to learn it and, and figure it out. And he wasn't great at it. He was, he showed flashes, but he was pretty inconsistent. But still, just yeah. like the, the mental part of like knowing how to approach it being a reliever. I, th- I think that will help him as he moves to that role this year. Because I would think somebody transitioning from reliever to starter, the issue is going to be endurance deeper into a game as you get into the fourth and fifth inning when you're seeing the the lineup turn over, you're seeing it for the second time. That's going to be an issue. Um, As they get deeper into your pitch repertoire, that's going to be a problem. But those things haven't really been a factor in Josh James's, you know, two starts so far. Like I think about a guy like Brandon Belak, who we're going to see on Thursday and who's been promising the few times we've seen him so far in 2020. And he has kind of this nifty sort of delivery. He has a bunch of pitches. Um, but my first thought about Brandon Belak going to the rotation is, okay, what's he going to look like in the fourth inning, the fifth inning? Is he going to be able to you know, make it six innings? These kind of questions were not even an issue so far for Josh James because he couldn't even make it out of the third inning out of these in these starts. Right. Yeah, we didn't really get a chance to see how he would attack lineups deeper in the games. Um, Belak's interesting, though. I, I'm curious to see how he is. You know, another... Another Northeast native like you and I. He's from New Jersey. Yep. Um, he's got five pitches. You know, his four seam fastball is like low, low to mid nineties. I, I suspect in a starting role, more low nineties. Um, you know, cutter. He throws a lot. His changeups probably his best secondary pitch. I would, from what I've seen so far, it's really good. And then you know, a, a curveball for lefties, a, a slider for righties, primarily. So. You know, he should have the weapons to go through a lineup at least twice. Uh, he he said on Wednesday that he built himself up to 80 pitches or so in, in summer camp. So, you know, maybe like a five and dive type situation for him in his, his first start. But um, he as we talked about Monday, he was really the only viable alternative here um, right now. Yeah. I mean, and if, if the only all, one, all they really need, I guess, from him is to kind of fill that gap until Urquidy's ready. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking. Um, I, I like what I've seen from Belak 
in his couple of appearances so far. But this, the scary part for them is that, okay, they moved James to the bullpen. Hopefully he gets better. Hopefully he becomes a good setup man. We shall see. I, I'm intrigued by Belak, but it's almost like if he starts to struggle, then they really have no place to go with that fifth spot until Urquidy is up in Houston and actually ready to throw a couple of innings. Like they, they've they've basically run out of starting pitchers. This is the last house on the left, and hopefully it works out for Dusty Baker. Right. Yeah, you're right, and that's why it's another reason I thought James would get more opportunities. But exactly, I do think it's smart that they're letting Belak make his first start against a team in the Diamondbacks that has struggled offensively. Uh, although they did certainly did not struggle offensively on Wednesday night, but they had struggled offensively and and, <laughs> yes. and looked pretty bad offensively before Wednesday, um, you know, and and be like himself said uh, the other day uh, on Wednesday that he thinks that the no fans in the stands definitely does help these younger guys kind of control their emotions, control the game better. So um, I think they are setting himself, setting him up for like a, a, it's a good position for him to de- to not debut, but make his first start. Yeah, I'm curious how he's going to be. I mean, this is not a guy, um, Jake, who was great in the minors last season, right? I mean, this is a guy who threw, he had a 4-2-2 ERA. Um, so I don't know if people were thinking that Belak was going to make the majors in 2020, but that seems like it's the story uh, for a lot of the guys that we've seen through the first two weeks of the season. Uh, I, I'm intrigued. I mean, if I was if I was making this change and looking at the guys in the bullpen and how they profile, Belak is clearly the guy. I mean, he's had one outing where he's gone, you know, a couple of innings, and you feel like okay, there there's something there. Uh, I, I'm intrigued, and I'm in waiting to see Mo. They've gotten good results out of Christian Javier and hopefully for them Belak can at least kind of hold the forts uh, in that fifth starting role right now he, he's a development success story for them too. 11th round pick a few years ago that no one yep really knew about um, and he, he quickly showed that he was better than 11, his 11th round status um, he, he actually pitched a little bit better than you'd think by looking at his stats last year because there was a few uh, one or two starts in Pacific Coast League where he gave up like nine runs or whatever. Like he just had okay, a couple point. of those like outlier outings and in, in some of those road, you know, West Coast Pacific Coast League parks where the ball just flies um, that that skewed his numbers. Obviously, those numbers count. But like, I think he, he was on the radar um, coming into last year. Like you have to weigh a lot of those Pacific Coast League numbers against the league averages. And he was overall he was he performed solid despite you know if you just looked at the baseball reference it doesn't look great that makes sense what about lance mccullers uh the start on wednesday was a bizarre one in that he was um, incredible through three innings and then the fourth inning was maybe the worst in maybe the worst inning that he's ever pitched in a big league uniform I think back to the awful performance he had against the twins uh, a couple of years ago where they were rocking the ball all over the place uh, if Lance McCullers does not get better I think the ceiling on this baseball team Jake is a team that wins that shortened first round of the playoffs and that's really about it uh, they need to get better results I know it's only three starts, but it's a 60-game season, and I know Lance was upset about the fact that they opened the roof before the fourth inning, which I can kind of understand. Uh, He was fine with the way his stuff was, which I can also get as well, but they need to get better results, way better results out of his spot in the rotation. 
What do you think of the roof thing? I thought that was, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, they knew before the game that they were going to do that. Like you have to yeah. declare that before the game and the general practice of opening a roof in the game. I'm not super against, like I actually think in minute mid park, you know, I'm, I'm in the open the roof crowd cause it's so much nicer um, when the weather is cooperating. But um, yeah. what do you think of that? Uh, I don't, I don't really like it because I think the best solution is to go with one consistent. Uh, what word am I looking for? Just situation throughout the environment. game. Is yeah, environment's the word I'm looking for. Uh, is it going to be close? Is it going to be a closed roof? You know, typical Minute Maid Park Chase Field situation, or are you going to have to contend with the air? I thought in watching the game in the fourth inning, I don't know if it was me misjudging the ball off the bat. I don't know if it was me getting used to Miles Straw's running style in center field because he played in center field for most of the game, not George Springer. But I felt like the baseball was just taking off to left center field. Like, whatever it was, I thought, well, that might be a fly out to the warning track. Nope, that's over the guy's head. Or that's that's gone for... And that happened like four times. And I'm like, I feel like I've never watched a baseball game before. This is nuts the way the, black, the ball is flying out. And I had a thought actually this morning, and tell me if I'm crazy. The Cole Calhoun inside the park home run, which I actually think might have been the first live inside the park home run I've seen. <laughs> like, really? I was, yeah. I was trying to think. Like, That's probably wrong because I just probably don't remember. But Is this your first I, year I watching baseball? <laughs> yes, yeah, my first year. But like, I, I, don't, like I'm, I was trying to think of specific ones and I couldn't think of it. Is it crazy? Is it absolutely crazy, Jake, for me to think if that ball had not caromed the way it did – off the like stanchion or the base in right field, I actually think Lance would have survived the inning. I think there was something about the way the ball bounced and that Cole Calhoun of all people had an inside the park home run that like just for some reason just completely ruined the inning. Like I, I actually think if that was a normal, let's say just a normal double, I think the inning would have been more okay. Was this was the same? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall... Also in the same inning that there was a fly ball to left center that Tucker probably should have caught that bounced over the wall for a ground yes. roll double. I felt yep. that way about that ball. Okay. Um, but I, I hear your point. I mean, it, it does in those situations where it just unravels and you give up five extra base hits in an inning like it does feel that way. Right. Um and then he, you know, he had a, there was a, there was a bunt that was laid down for an easy hit. And I'm sure that probably drove him crazy. That was really smart hitting. Because you, you that, know, like, yeah. right after that inside the park home run, you're not thinking about that as the pitcher, right? Great points. Um, I don't know. The roof thing was interesting. I thought it was funny that, like, the broadcasts, like, immediately went to that as an yeah. excuse, <laughs> as did Astro's Twitter. Um, I mean, yes. it was weird. Like, he was a ground ball machine the first three innings. I think it was eight ground outs. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden the ball's flying. Who knows what it was? I will say this, that like in general, he is in a in granted small sample caveat. Um, he is giving up more contact this year, including hard contact and his swing and misses are down. So, you know, you know, his ground ball rate is pretty strong and, you know, it looks like he's pitching to contact a little more. Um, and there's definitely some small sample flukiness with the volume of balls in the air that have gone for extra bases after last night or after yep. Wednesday night. Um, and like I said, the defense wasn't great behind him. But, 
you know, at the same time, when you give up more contact and have less swing and miss, you're, you're more prone to this kind of stuff. Do you think that Lance needs to have, do, do you think it's okay if his curveball is ending up in the strike zone or do you think it has to be outside the zone? Well, he kind of can do both with it when it's, when it's right. Um, but I don't think it's, it's been his normal curveball so far this year. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have a single swing and miss on it on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I was going to I was going to bring that up too. that that has to be a concern. I, I was looking at, you know, the miles per hour, which I don't know if you mentioned on the podcast or off the air. Um, it looked like it might have been maybe a tick up on yeah. on Wednesday nights. So that was a good sign. Um, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, if, if the curveball is not inducing swings and misses, then he's going to have to rely on, on those other pitches. And I know we were impressed with the change up, especially during the uh, exhibition game against uh, against the Royals. It was a bizarre start because um, yeah. I, I I think it's a bizarre start because in my time watching Lance, I feel like when he starts off really well and it looks like he's throwing and he's got the feel of his pitches, usually it's going to be a pretty decent start. I, he's not the kind of guy who is prone to implosion like we saw on Wednesday. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not like a Framber Valdez situation where or exactly. Or Josh yeah, he's James. not that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. The curveball thing's a little weird. His I, I, like right now, I think it's his third best pitch. And interesting. Um, if you watch his, just the fastball's really good. His, his two seamers, I think, is best pitch right now. Like it's nasty. Like the movement on it. Um, maybe his changeups is his best pitch. I don't know. It's I just don't think it's his curveball. Um, and he he threw he's throwing three all three pitches like pretty equal so like you can't blame it all on one pitch like he's mixing well um but he, i think he needs to get more swing and misses um just to you know that's the safest out right is is the strikeout because you're not putting the ball in play and leaving it up to the fielder so there's you know it's only 13 and two-thirds innings there's definitely some bad luck contributing to that nine era his FIP is still six, though, so it's still not good uh, the way he's pitching. But I agree with your overall point. They definitely need more out of him. Yeah, that that's that's my big thing. I mean, the way the rotation is right now with this giant question mark lo- looming over Justin Verlander, they just really need to get, I think, A, I mean, ob- the obvious is they need good performances. The, the second thing they need is some length. I mean, and he's only gone six innings in one of his first three starts. I just think that the way that these that this team is built, now, I really feel more than other seasons, especially in a 60-game season, especially with how many guys are making debuts, I'm really kind of living day-to-day with this team, and I'm sure Dusty Baker and James Click are as well. Um, so maybe in a month or so, I'm thinking of the rotation as like Granky, Javier, Valdez, McCullers, who the heck knows? Um, but realistically, they need Lance to stabilize things and they need him to, him to pitch a lot more like the guy that we saw make the all-star team in the first half of the 2018 season. That might be that might be high. That might be too much of an aspiration for a shortened season coming off Tommy John surgery. But like it, it's it's got to be better. I just think about a game like Wednesday where, you know, that's one of those. Um, it, it's sort of a turning point in that, you know, the team entering was six and four. It looks like they're going to win the game early based on how they're hitting against Robbie Ray. Then that turns into a loss. All of a sudden, you've got your fifth starter throwing against Arizona, and then you face the Diamondbacks over the weekend. You could have been seven and four. Instead, you're six and five. And I know it's a really small example, but in a shortened season, this kind of swing it could be one that you're thinking about in the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and the A's series this weekend looms, and it's going to be, I think, a really big series, a really fun series. Yes. Um, you know, Sunday, I'm looking at Sunday's pitching matchup already. Christian Javier versus Jesus, Jesus Lazardo. That should be a fun one. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said about, about McCullers. Um, it also makes me think about, like, this the short season – like how frustrating is it for a pitcher this year when you have one awful start and it just screws up your numbers for the whole year? Oh yeah. Like in a normal <laughs> year, you could have t- enough time to like equal it out a little bit. Like even Garrett Cole <laughs> had now. Garrett Cole had some clunkers, you know, the last couple of years once or twice, right? And he would have enough time to iron even it <laughs> out. But you know, when you're only getting twelve starts max, like that's going to skew your numbers for the rest of the season. So Lance's ERA is nine two two, and he's probably thinking. All right, I can maybe get this to it, like maybe below five right. by the end of the season. Right. Like that's that's the sample size that you're working with essentially. And then you, and then you're thinking about like arbitration and what that's going to look like. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah, like these are the kind of things that we that baseball fans like probably aren't really thinking about, but I'm sure is really going through, the, through these pitchers' minds pretty heavily. Yeah, and it's I guess it's the opposite for hitters, right? You can have a four for five game and completely change your hitting line. Um, yeah. So yeah, something to, to keep an eye on for sure. Now, we also have the Osuna situation as well. So we've gone through Josh James, Demotis of the bullpen, Lance McCullers, Nisevich better. Roberto Osuna, uh, so there's one report, Jake, that he is out for the season and will need Tommy John surgery, but there's been no confirmation on what the situation is, correct? So the official, the official latest, as we speak on Thursday morning, is the all the Astros have said is that he went for an MRI and to see the doctor. They have not offered an update on that doctor, uh, doctor's visit as of yet. Um, they haven't offered many updates on doctor's visits yet. Um, Mark Berman of Fox, what, what number? I don't know what number affiliate it is, but the local Fox. 26. 26, there you go. Uh, the local Fox affiliate in Houston reported on Tuesday afternoon that the initial diagnosis was that Osuna would need season-ending Tommy John surgery, which would obviously also threaten his 2021 or impact his 2021. And then he also noted in his report, uh, which cited an anonymous source, that Osuna was seeking a second opinion. So that kind of explains why we haven't gotten an update from the Astros yet. Um, Osuna has had Tommy John before when he was 18 in the minors for the Blue Jays. So that's interesting. Not that you can't have it twice, but... Um, noteworthy and yeah obviously um, it didn't look good from the start right when he came out of the game uh, on Saturday I believe that was he was looking at mm-hmm. his forearm and it, it looked bad from the from the get-go so um, you know that's kind of where things stand as we speak right now so the first question I have is well obviously it impacts the team a lot this season because now you move Ryan Presley into the quote-unquote closer role, which I am relatively confident in, although, you know, he's he's the guy who I need to see a little bit more and, and stabilize his health because that's been up and down so far this season. So it's not they like... need to get him some work. It, like, he, yeah, they, once in I, 11 I agree. games. Like, yeah, they need... I, I agree. Like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, I... The Ryan Presley I've seen for the last year and a half, yeah, that guy can be a closer, no question, but I <laughs> kind of need to see him out there and pitching like that before I can have that level of confidence. Um, so... Osuna is definitely a loss. I've never, and you and I have talked about this before, I've never had a full belief in him as an elite closer. I don't think he is that guy. Uh, You said something that kind of surprised me. Did you think, Jake, that that Osuna, injury or not, 
was a possibility that they would get rid of him after this season. Yes. I thought he was a non-tender candidate before the injury, and I definitely think he's one now after the injury. Um, you know, he, he was a super two when he was with the Blue Jays, which means he got four years of arbitration instead of the usual three, which means, um, you know, he's getting paid more. Um, he's make, he was going to make $10 million this year which uh, is pretty high for a one-inning reliever uh, in general. Um, and then you add on another go through the arbitrate, go around through the arbitration process. You've got to add three or four mil at least to that for 2021. So then you're looking at, let's call it 14 million yep. for 2021. That's like a top five relief pitcher in terms of annual Salary, that's a lot for a guy who I don't think is elite. I think he's very good, but I don't think he's been elite with the Astros. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people will disagree. Um, and so, yeah, I think he would have been a non-tender candidate before, um, and I definitely think he is now. For some reason, this really blew me away. And I don't know if I'm just, if I have my head in the sand over this. Well, and part of my thought was, when was the last time, I don't want to put you on the spot, but when was the last time the Astros, as an organization, non-tendered a guy who you would say was similarly situated to Osuna, like a key part of the team who was, a, who was you know, a reasonably young guy, Osuna's 25, that they just decided for muddy reasons that we're going to let this guy go before a season where we're actually trying to win games? I'm not sure if they have. Yeah, I mean, it has to be a while. Now, I mean, you're right. The, the costs are only going to go up for uh, next season with salary increases and arbitration. And so they need to supplement the team with, with some younger guys. Now, they obviously, the, the payroll for 2021, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like because of the outfield with Springer, Brantley, and Reddick all being free agents and Yuli as well. Um, so I wonder, depending on who they would have brought back slash not brought back, plus who they would have signed or traded for to replace those guys, if they could have absorbed Osuna. I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you that they would think about non-tendering him depending on how this season went. But I think if you took 2019 and you transposed Osuna's performance and he just like did the same thing this year if he had stayed healthy, I think they might have considered it, but then just kept him. That, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could see that outcome too um, in that alternate universe. But I think in general, there's going to be a ton of non-tenders because of the pandemic and teams looking to save, save money. And I think also like the Astros, their roster has become very top heavy and they need to try to find ways to build a more well-rounded 40-man roster and especially a 26-man roster for next year. Yep. Um, and say you had to pay your closer 14 or 15 million, you could get three relievers for that price and maybe be better off is my point. Yeah, I think that point definitely makes sense when you think about the money. I think if he had had the same kind of season, then they probably would be thinking, well, we have a very good reliever. Um, at least this is a known quantity. He would have been 26 years old. This is even a guy who's like 29 or 30 um, because he's so young. 
let's give it another go because at, at, at the very least, you know, it's not like it would be easy, for example, for them to like take what Osuna is making and then, you know, trade him for three equivalent parts and then put them into the bullpen, if that makes sense. Osuna might be overvalued at $14 million, but at least it would save them the headache of having to solve a closer dilemma for 2021. Yeah, I don't know if teams anymore think about like, Think bullpen construction in the same way in terms of like we need a closer quote unquote um i think they think of it as do we have enough high leverage relievers to get the best hitters out and you look at the rays which is the team james click is coming from like they don't have a closer right or at least i don't think they do it seems like they never do and they're have had the you know traditionally one of the best bullpens the last few years and i think the best bullpen last year um i think the sooner teams can get to a point where they're not naming closers and they're just using the best reliever in the best situation, the happier um, front offices will be. And I think, I actually think it's the best strategy too. I mean, it's not good for the players because they want, you know, the, the saves to rack up so they can get money and arbitration and all that stuff. But, you know, if you're looking at the best way to win games, like a non, a, a, a bullpen without roles um, is really like the optimal thing for a manager. I feel like all of that is a long way to say, Mike, stop talking about closers. <laughs> stop talking. Stop using that word. <laughs> no, I mean, I wrote Which about I, it this week, too, with, with Presley. Yeah. Um, and like that's how traditional baseball has gone and how we have thought about it. But totally fair. Um, I don't know. And Osuna so, was that guy, right? Like he, he was the guy who pitched like basically only in closing situations or a situation yep. that a closer would pitch in. So um, but I don't think we have to, Osuna, I don't think we have to think of bullpens that way anymore. And, and maybe that was a weakness for Osuna because he was always the kind of guy who it, it seemed like coming in with a three or four run lead was was, was somehow way worse for him than coming in with a one run lead. Um, I, I have no idea if the numbers actually back that up, but that's what it always seemed like to me, especially in 2019, that if he got into an odd situation, he wouldn't really respond quite as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some guys, I think Ken Giles was built that way too. There's some guys who just have yes. that kind of mindset. Um but yeah, I think it's really it's interesting to look to next year, not to like jump too ahead here because uh, now you wrote about this, yeah. Because I, I do think there is an element of of some fans just looking to next year because of this sixty game season not really feeling super credible, um, and it is interesting. They they don't have. They have a lot of holes to fill in 2021, and now there's potentially just one more. Um, you know, Joe Smith is still under contract next year. Um, Brad Peacock is not. Uh, they could bring back Austin Pruitt for basically the major league minimum. Um, yep. Who else am I th- forgetting? I mean, and then, like, they're going to learn a ton about Anoli Paredes and Blake Taylor and some of these younger guys and see if those guys can be in the opening day bullpen in 2021. Um they also yeah that's they also figure to have some money to spend on on relievers if they want to. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now, and you know, looking at it right this second, you would say Presley, Blake Taylor uh, are basically locks. Paredes looks pretty good as far as his stuff and his age. Um, you had written that you know Chris Davinsky and Joe Biagini are arbitration eligible, but they are in the non tender category. 
which makes sense. Davinsky has not been the same guy for the last couple of years. We've discussed that one a couple of times. Biagini, I think, is a is a uh, I'm, I, uh, he's he's a waste of time to me. That's probably <laughs> harsh, but I'm just going to be honest. Like I, <laughs> I think I'm just better off not watching him pitch. That that's where I'm at mentally. And then then it comes down to I think what do these young guys look like the rest of this season? Cy Sneed, we'll see. I think Brian Abreu has been awful Cy so Sneed's far like, in 2020. Cy Sneed's like your age, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. He's not. But he's uh, he's not exactly yeah, young. Think, yeah, he's not young. Yeah. But that's a guy who, let me see what he has the rest of the yeah, way. Yeah, I'm just messing with you. And, and figure it out. Uh, Abreu has been terrible, as I mentioned. I have no concept of why that's the case. Uh, he's another guy who just cannot locate the strike zone. Um, Andre Scrub. We'll see. We talked about him Monday. Um, and yeah, I think we need to see what it looks like. You know, uh, Nivaldo Rodriguez looked good in his first outing, looked bad in the second one in the second game against Arizona. Umberto Castellanos, who I basically, you know, if he had walked into my apartment complex a month ago, I'd have, I'd have no idea who he was. Dusty Baker, I'd never watched him throw before the first Arizona game. He looked pretty good, but I've literally only seen that guy once. So I am telling all that to say that, what the bullpen looks like next season is really going to depend on what these young guys do the rest of this 60 games. I agree. I agree. And yeah, the Brian Abreu one is weird. I mean, he it's so he weird. looked amazing in spring training and then he looks terrible now. Um, he can't throw strikes like it's, he doesn't. He's always had better command of his breaking stuff than his fastball. But now it's like it's just bad. <laughs> like, I don't know how they can use him like they might have to consider optioning I- him at some point soon. They might. I feel like my my current hell right now would be watching a game that was like a piggyback of a Josh James <laughs> Brian Abreu situation. Joe I'd be, <laughs> be yeah, and be a genie. Yeah, I'd be like that would be my torture. Like if I committed a crime and they wanted to torture me to get information, then what they should do is st- sit me on a couch, feed me nothing, and have me watch. Josh James, Joe Biagini, and Brian Abreu pitch one baseball game in tandem. <laughs> I think it's pretty telling of the state of things that Nivaldo Rodriguez, a guy who never pitched above high A and missed <laughs> yes. most of summer camp, um, is now like pitching close games. Like I think all of his yes. appearances have been in close games. And you think if they have an Austin Pruitt or a Brad Peacock to go to last night, that game might turn out differently because they can keep it closer, yep. presumably. Um, and you could also question Dusty Baker's decision to go to Rodriguez over a Cy Snead or a Blake Taylor there. I mean, you got to pick your spots, I t- but like, I, you got to keep the game close, too. I agree with you. I think Taylor was, I think Taylor was unavailable. He was unavailable uh, Tuesday, I, but I think he would have been after two days okay. off. I mean, yeah, I, I, my, my bad. I, I think I might have been thinking the, the previous night. Yeah, I, I agree with you largely. I think that was a weird spot to put Rodriguez in because it was still a winnable game um, in that moment. Got it. Like other baseball teams are going through the same exact For thing, sure. right? I mean, it's it, it's been particularly highlighted here in Houston, but I'm looking at I'm just looking at the depth chart here and the Astros have debuted so many rookies that I'm looking at. I'm looking at, you know, Brad Peacock and Jose Urquidy and Austin Pruitt. And I feel like for them to come back and pitch decently would be the equivalent of the Astros of like just wandering in the desert and finally finding an oasis. That that's where I'm at with getting those guys back. How much they need them back. Yeah, I mean it doesn't I wouldn't be hopeful on Pruitt because he's been shut down, but Peacock is yes. kind of an X factor now um because they need him. Um yeah, it's it's interesting. I and you're right. Other teams are dealing with the same thing. I mean, 
I, I used to work in Philadelphia, and so I still follow a lot of Phillies Twitter, and they've been there's been a, a lot of bullpen issues with them too. Um, and I, I think it's everywhere for the most part, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's especially for the Astros going into a day when you're starting your, a new guy as your fifth starter, like you, you're going to need your bullpen again. So um, we'll see how it plays out. I'm not exactly sure how much longer they can sustain. Cause like the guy, like most of the bullpen has pitched well, we should say, but I don't know how sustainable that is. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, it's just a weird, weird first, what 11, 12 games so far. It has been weird. I, I, I think we're going to know a lot more about this team once they go through the A series, because that's the main competition for the division. We see what Zach Greinke looks like the third time through, and not to repeat the same point, but the, the same point does apply to Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, two guys who have gotten off to, I think, really good starts, really promising starts this season. They'll face good pitchers, um, and... I'm very curious to see what the pitching staff looks like against the A's lineup, especially their best couple of hitters, who I don't think have been great so far. Uh, I don't know how the road environment plays into it because obviously there are uh, there are no fans. I don't know if the A's pipe in crowd noise includes the um, the banging of whatever drums they have or whatever the hell is going on in their stadium. Yeah, I don't know either. That'll be interesting. Um, I think they, as we speak Thursday morning, I think they've won five straight and are maybe officially favored to win the division. Uh, Interesting. I've not checked the uh, upgrade, uh, updated like fan graphs projections I believe yet. it was pretty neck and neck uh, on Thursday morning, but I think the A's were slightly ahead. Um, so it's, you know, as we anticipated, a, a real division race this year. Obviously, both the first and second place teams get in this year, which, you know, we've, we've lamented about that new rule before. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's in, it's interesting. It's it's intriguing, and I, I don't know. I, it, the first two weeks of the season, we've had no shortage of things to discuss. There is no doubt, and we'll have all of our takeaways after that big A series. Again, the Astros are playing the A's for a three game set this upcoming weekend with Zach Greinke. Framber Valdez and Christian Javier all starting for the Astros. The, the three guys who have been arguably their best starting pitchers uh, up until this uh, this point in the season, uh, basically, you know, 11 games in. That'll do it for us for right now. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of The Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic.